0: Um, hey, we are right in the middle of a series called "Real Jesus, Real People." Uh, we believe both are real. There you go. And so, um, we are we are loving it. It's uh, it's been a journey, but it's been good. We're we're a little over halfway, and um, but what we're doing is we're just going as best as we can, verse by verse, all the way through it. It's the largest book in the Bible. And so if we really took the time to go every single word, we would, it would take us three to four years. So we're doing our best to cover as much ground as we can. Um, but man, there has been some beautiful takeaways, and I think today will be the same. Um, something, that, uh, something that I would say is a bit of an epidemic. I use that word often, epidemic, just this, this crisis idea. Uh, is this thought that I think is pretty common um, amongst people today, but I think it was also fairly common amongst people back when these words were written. And I think Jesus does a nice job within the Scripture we talk about today of dealing with this topic. But here's the thought. Um, I believe the conversation I hear often is, I'm a good person, therefore... um, at some point, at the end of all of this, I'm probably going to the big house someday. Right? And and you do. You hear it. You hear people say, gosh, if there was some kind of scale, like good people, bad people, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm probably on the good people side. Like, I've probably done enough good things. I'm nice to people. I gave that person my parking spot the other day. Like, I, I, I somehow fall over here. And therefore, if there is a God out there and he is good why would he prevent me from going to heaven? And many believe this. And um, you might believe this. Uh, Jesus is going to explain to us here in a second that that's not actually true. That that reality is is um, different. Um, in fact, those that do go to heaven will be good because he makes them good. But um, anyways, that's one thought. Another thought that I believe is a growing thought, is this concept that all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. You hear it often. Um, it's this same idea. If there was a good God out there, why would he prevent anyone from going to heaven? Therefore, don't get so caught up in the weeds about all these different religions. Everything is going to make you get home, essentially. Um, it's tricky when you go through the gospels, uh, he's primarily teaching to a non-believing, um, Jewish group of people. He's, uh, essentially teaching to the people of Rome in that area. Um, and this is before the cross. So, so it's a, it's a little tricky as we get into some of these parables because you're not always the audience he's writing to. Um, now, We do believe that God is the same yesterday as he is today. We do believe that all scripture is God breathed and that it is profitable for teaching and to be used. And so we believe there is beauty to be found in every verse on every page to some degree. We believe that. Um, But as we get into these verses, you're going to realize today pretty quickly, not all of these verses are intended for those who have put their trust already in Jesus. Um, But in the midst of it, we will be encouraged by the reality of what we've put our trust in. If you spend enough time here at Open Door Fellowship, you will realize that every Sunday that we gather, we open up God's Word. We believe it is the most truest uh, form of reality in the world. We believe it is the one thing that promises life. We believe it's the one thing that teaches the truth about the kingdom to come which is heaven, and we believe it is the one thing that points directly to a person called Jesus who we believe is the Savior of the world. And so uh, if if the Bible is new for you, if you don't know what you believe about it, or if you don't think that it's legit, uh, I hope, I hope that as you spend enough time here or you spend enough time in God's Word, that those convictions would change. Um, If you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one as a gift because we think it'll change your life. And so... Right out there in the foyer, there's a bunch of blue ones. Please, as you're leaving today, if you don't own one, snag one. Write your name in it and take it with you and actually read it. That's the key because we think it'll uh, be a game changer. I want to read a verse. Um, actually, first I want to share with you the title. The title for today's uh, section is, is Who's on the Guest List? Who's on the Guest List? And we're going to be spending almost all of our time in Luke 13 and I want to read you where I got this title from So eugene peterson. He's an author. He's a pastor. He wrote the message It's a version of the bible a paraphrased version of it And this is how he describes a little section of what we're going to read today as our passage I'm, just going to read it right now. This is luke 13 23 through 25 a bystander said master Will only a few be saved? He said jesus Whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood. Well, one day, you're going to be banging on the door Wanting to get in, but you will find the door locked. And the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. It's hard when you read verses like that sometimes. Because it feels maybe harsh is the word. I don't know what it, what it feels to you, but uh, it's pretty direct. And... The question then, I guess, is, so who is on the guest list? You're going to hear words today. Um, you're going to hear him use this in a couple of different parables that he's going to get to. You're going to hear this word repentance. And, and I want to give definition to it before we get into much. Repentance is, and we've talked about this here a couple of times, repentance is literally just a turning around. It's just a changing your mind about something. It, it, it's, it's, this, it's this motion. I was going this direction, and I turned around. And what are you turning towards? Well, you're turning towards Jesus. That's repentance, right? You're turning from uh, the way you were heading and saying, no, there is a better way, and I'm changing my authority to this person called Jesus. That's repentance. It's, it's that simple act of turning around. And you're going to hear him use it a couple of different ways throughout these passages. Um, but, but I just want to make sure you're aware of that as we go into it. Uh, beautiful story. This is a guy named is King Frederick II. He's the king of Prussia in the 18th century. Uh, Prussia is now like Poland, right next door to Berlin. And um, he goes to visit this prison in Berlin one day. And so he's kind of the ruling king of this area. And he goes and he visits this, uh, this prison. And he walks in and immediately a bunch of people prisoners criminals are yelling at him sir king lord i'm innocent what they've accused me of i didn't do they're lying but they know that he is the one that can grant pardon he is the one that can say you're free to go or you have to remain and they're just yelling at him sir i'm i'm innocent i swear to you i'm innocent and he walks around and he's listening and he's listening and all these people are crying out to him. And in one of the dark corners of the prison, he sees this man sitting there with his head down. And um, he asks one of the prison guards, what's, what's up with that guy? And he goes, I don't, I don't know. He looks like depressed or something. I don't know what's going on. He goes, why don't you go talk to him? So the king walks over to him and he says, what are, you, what are you in for? How, what got you here? And he goes, well, it was an uh, armed robbery. I, I, uh, it was armed robbery is, w- is what put me in. And the king says, did you do it? And he said, yeah, I did. And the king says, what's, what's your sentence? And he tells him his sentence. And the king says, do, 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 do you deserve it? And he says, yeah, I absolutely deserve it. I absolutely deserve it. And the king goes, pack up your bags let's go. And he walks him right out the front door and he turns around to the guard and he says, I'm taking this guy with me. I don't want to corrupt all the innocent in here. (laughs) Beautiful picture of repentance and the power to be forgiven of it. we got someone that's going to read some verses for us today. Halsey's going to read them. Um, so we're going to go right into it. If you've got your Bible, Luke 13, we're going to start with 1 through 5. 1 through 5. Let's go.
1: Repent or perish. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans who were, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish.
0: Just a happy little thought. Pontius Pilate uh, gets painted with several different descriptors in in the bible there's times even towards the end when he's with jesus right before the crucifixion we kind of think he's somewhat of a good guy but he's he's just getting swayed by the people and um, he did some kind of wicked gross things uh, throughout his little reign and this is one of them he he took some uh, people from the region of the sea of galilee jewish people and um, they were making a sacrifice one day and he slaughtered them. And the blood from the sacrifice, along with the blood of these humans, mingled together. It describes it that way. Disgusting. And so, Jesus, if you remember where we picked up from last week, he's got this huge crowd of people with him. Um, and one of the people yells out from the crowd Hey, Jesus, what do you think of those uh, Galileans? What do you think of that mess? Little bit of backstory. Uh, the Galileans were kind of a separate group um, in a different kind of region than than what would be like main Jerusalem, and so they were not always uh, thought of super highly by the the high religious people of the time in Judaism. They they spoke a little different. If you remember when Peter um, was uh, in the court, right in the area, right as Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, one of the people said, "Hey." You're one of his guys. Peter goes, no, no, I'm not. And they go, yeah, I can tell by your accent. Most of Jesus' dudes, his 12, and Jesus himself were all from this region of the Sea of Galilee. And they, it wasn't that they weren't Jewish. It's just they kind of played by a few different rules. And so they were kind of looked down on. And so what, uh, what scholars tell us is that when this person is yelling out to Jesus about, hey, did you hear about these Galileans? You see Jesus' response. He knows what the guy's thinking. He's saying, are you saying you think this happened to them because of their sins? Are you saying they're they're worse people, therefore this happened to them? Is that what you're thinking? And then he kind of flips it on him a little bit. He all of a sudden brings up a whole other group of 18 people. And he says, hey, what about those guys then? Let's think about this. What about those group of people at the pools of Salome that were cleaning themselves, cleansing themselves, religious, Jewish, really good people in your eyes? What about them when that tower fell on them? Do you think they were worse people? And what he's essentially saying is, look, your standard of good or bad doesn't determine whether or not someone lives or dies. We all... We're all going to go down at some point. But let me tell you this, he says. But I want to tell you this. If you do not repent, if you do not turn around, you're not just going to perish, but you're perishing. Your death will be for eternity. That's all he's saying there. It's just this weird kind of little thing. A guy yells out from the crowd and Jesus goes, let's talk about it then. I know what you're thinking. Let's talk about it. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's keep rolling then. Next one, Halsey.
1: And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, and until I dig around it and put on manure, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down.
0: You don't have to preach on this one that's a, but I do um, it's, it's interesting a couple of things would have stood out to a, to a few people listening to him say this parable. The first one is a fig tree growing in a vineyard uh it wouldn't have belonged there, and that would have that would have stood out right away to, to some as like he's telling us something a little different um, it's interesting he it leaves us with a cliffhanger. Like, we don't really get an answer. Did the guy say, okay, give it another year, give it a go, throw some mulch on it, see what you can do, and then we'll cut it down? That was what the request was. But we don't see an answer, yay or nay. This is the only time this is recorded in any part of Scripture. There's a couple other times where Jesus is walking in Matthew and Mark, and he comes across a, a tree, a fig tree, and he says some similar words. But this is a parable. This is not the tree. And they might, they might mean some similar things, but this one's a little different. Uh, one thing is for certain, there is, um, he is trying to make some bit of comparison. The reality is that Jesus has started his ministry three years ago, and it has been three years, and very little fruit has come of it. The other interesting thing though for many hearing the story would have been the reality of fig trees. They don't actually produce fruit until about 3 or 4 years or sometimes 5 years. We we have a name for what we see the vine dresser requesting. The vine dresser is requesting something. He's saying, I I know this tree hasn't produced the way that you have wanted it to produce, but will you give me a little while longer with it? Will you let me do some work to it? Will you let me spend a little bit more time with it? Will you let me throw a little bit more manure on it. Will you let me clean up around the roots so that the roots can sink down a little deeper before you hack it? The the name that we give this kind of language, we have a word for it in the Bible and in this Christian religion, and the word is called grace. The tree deserved to be hacked, and yet the vine dresser said, um, let, will you let me nurture it? Will you let me stay in process with it? Um, here, let me let's just let me say it this way: um, the person doing the work wasn't the tree. You see, who's doing the work is the vine dresser. Oftentimes, we try to produce the fruit in ourselves, and the reality is it is the Spirit of God within us that is the one to provide the fruit. And there is one that is out there. His name is Jesus, who does not hack us down just because we haven't produced fruit. He says, I'll stay with you in it. It's called grace. It's called love. It's, um, it's like what we did with my daughter Macy. Um. She's now in second grade. And we took her to kindergarten at a school, and every single day of the entire year, she just cried. Hated being there, was scared, was intimidated. The system wasn't right for her. And, and um, so Kaylee and I, we don't know what to do. We're just trying this out. She's our first kid. So we go, okay, let's try to homeschool. Maybe that'll help her. She was just intimidated by the school. There was a lot of kids It was freaking her out. So we said, let's try homeschool. And um, we try homeschool, and about four weeks in, we realize this isn't going to work for our family. <laughs> and and it's just the dynamic didn't fit us. We just couldn't. It's a beautiful thing if, if it can work, but we just couldn't. My daughter Macy was really upset with us as parents. She didn't want to learn from us. She would fight us on everything. It was hurting our relationship. And so we said, okay, let's try something different. So we took her to another school. And this school, we thought, would help because it was a lot smaller and, and a lot less intimidating, and there was few kids. It was a really tiny school, and we thought, this will help her learn. But it, it, it was a beautiful school, great people there. But it wasn't super organized, and it was a little chaotic in that way for her. So she didn't thrive. So you go, man, I don't want to keep moving my kid from school to school. So we tried one more time, and we got her to a school this year, and she's thriving. And us staying in process... Us saying, we love you, we're committed to you. We're not just going to hack you down at the start because you failed once. It's like, this is what, this is what a loving parent would do, is to say, I'm here, and we're going to figure this thing out together. And that's what the vine dresser is saying. It's like, look, let's just, can, I, can we just let me stay in it with this tree for a little bit? I know we're not seeing the fruit. We could give up on it, sure. But what if we just stayed a little bit longer? That's what's going on. Cool. Keep rolling. Halsey, Halsey, go for it.
1: Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God.
0: Something to be noted before we get going any further these first three stories that you've heard, these first three little snippets that we've done, only Luke records them. Only Luke records these first three. The, the next ones we'll get into, um, there's a couple portions of it that only Luke records, but it's only Luke and Matthew. So all of today, John or Mark doesn't include in their gospel accounts. So just free advice, you know, we can, we can exchange later. Um, This is kind of an interesting thing, but I love it about Jesus. I love it about his person. Um, Jesus is is sharing a really clear message right now. The the three or four things he's going to teach over this section that we're in right now is a really clear message. Uh, He's talking uh, about repent or perish. He's talking about this fig tree. He's going to talk about the the narrow way. He's going to talk about some very specific things. He's talking uh, a really a clear thing that he's trying to share. But in the middle of it, he stops. And this is where this story picks up. And I love this about Jesus. He's never in such a hurry that he can't stop to look into the eyes of someone that needs him and just go, yeah, yeah, I was onto something. I was sharing a little bit with everyone, but I'm just going to stop for a moment and check in on this person. Like it's one of the coolest things. They said Jesus moved at the pace of three miles an hour. That's the pace of walking. Like he was never in a hurry. He was never in a rush. You don't ever see Jesus like, yeah, but I got to get here real quick. I I would, I would, you know, you don't ever see that of Jesus. And we have so much information recorded. You see him just willing to go, oh, this is, this is before me. Let me attend to it. Not cool. So this, he's in this church. This will actually be the last time before he is crucified that he will teach in a church. Actually the last time altogether that he will teach in a synagogue. And Bunch of well-put-together religious people. And then there's this lady that is bent over like this. And who does he call to? Her. He goes, come over here. Interesting thing, it says 18 years. Uh, That's 936 church services that this gal showed up to like this. That's a lot of years. That's a lot of years. Some people... Didn't get to church today because the Super Bowl was on. This gal, this gal showing up bent over. But he, here's 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 the interesting part. Here's the interesting part. Um, early scholars, as they were trying to collect this story that Luke records, um, they actually struggled with writing it in English because they didn't fully understand what Luke was writing. He was writing. Remember we talked about Luke was a physician. He was writing a doctor's account of this person's medical condition. And and the wording of it, only Paul Laurenston would understand it. The wording of it was like doctor speech, right? Doctor and so they didn't really know what exactly he was describing here, and finally over time they they, they recorded it accurately. So it's just a cool little cool little nugget there. Let's keep going. Halsey, we keep going.
1: But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years... Be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him.
0: He sees this gal. She's bent over, and he points to her, and he says, come here. He puts his hands on her, and she stands up straight. And the religious leader in there goes, hey, hey. You're not allowed to do that here. Or at least not on this day. Hey! And here's the crazy part. He doesn't say it to Jesus. Did you see how he said it? It says, he turned to the people. He turned to the people. Here's Jesus has just done this most miraculous thing. And he turns to the people and he says, Hey, you guys know the rules, right? We're not allowed to do this on this day. And what does Jesus do? He gives a really friendly Uh, interaction he he calls him a hypocrite he says hey you're such a hypocrite he goes look all of you on the sabbath will untie your donkey and free it to go get some water at the watering hole but this lady has been in bondage for 936 sundays and you're saying hey to me The Sabbath, they'd come out of slavery. The Jewish people had come out of slavery. And the Lord, as a gift to them, said, Hey, we know you've been working a lot of days in a row. Like, like let's call them years. And you haven't had a day off because you're slaves. I'm going to give you a gift. One day a week, you get to rest. You don't, you don't have to do anything. Breathe in deep. Enjoy my love. Enjoy my faithfulness bask in the goodness of rest. And they're like, yeah, this is legit. Legit. That's a different way to say it. (laughs) And they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. In the Bible, the the Sabbath written by God gets a paragraph of what the Sabbath should be. It's just a day of rest. They get a hold of it and they write 24 pages of what the Sabbath is and is not. It's called the Mishnah. And something good intention, something right, uh, has become bondage, has become law, has become captivity, has become enslavement for many. I was was reading about someone that just traveled to uh, the the Jewish country, Israel, and he was getting on an elevator and he's not Jewish. And it was the Sabbath, and there were Jewish people, and they asked him, "Will you press the button on the elevator to get us to the right floor?" And he goes, and they're both standing right next to it. And he goes, "Sure, like I'll press it." So he presses it, and he asks them. He said, "Why, why weren't you guys able to press the button?" And they said, "Well, when you press the button, it creates an electric shock, and and, a, and a, a little bit of fire is made. Well, you're not allowed to make a fire on the Sabbath, so you can't." So, but but this but but this this idea is like, man, they were so intent on enjoying the sabbath that they kept putting walls up like man this boundary is awesome for us let's put a few more up and here's this woman who has been in bondage because the very people that could have healed her in the name of Jesus wouldn't do it on a specific day and Jesus shows up he goes are you kidding me right now astounding we uh Kaylee and I, we were at lunch yesterday, Liner, it was 4 o'clock, we were eating, whatever you want to call it. And uh, our, our waiter came to the table and she was pouring water for us. She couldn't even really look either of us in the eyes. And she, she walked away from our table and Kaylee turned to me. Kaylee's got a really good sense for people. And she said, that girl looks like she's in pain. And it wasn't like she wasn't limping. She didn't look like physical pain. She, she, her lips looked a little uh, like they had some pain going on. We don't really know. But she just looked like something was oppressing her, like something was over her. And I can't get her out of my head. Last night, as I was preparing the message, um, I was just praying for her. Like, I just go, gosh, there's something putting this lady into bondage. And she just, you could just see it. Like she couldn't look at us right. She couldn't focus. She was just, you could tell she was in pain. And I know for a fact, if Jesus would have been with us that day in that restaurant, it was a packed house, he would have just said, come here. And he, she would have been the one he would have called over. She would have been the one that he would have said, hey, look, you're, you're free from whatever's, whatever's hurting you. And I wish, man, I so wish yesterday I could go back And I could just pray over her and just say, hey, look, I just see something on you that looks dark and heavy. I just want to pray the name of Jesus over you because I believe he can save you. I believe he can heal you. And I believe he can bring life to your bones. And I didn't, um, but maybe I will. I want to be that kind of church, you guys, where our religious habitual ways don't get in the way of us pointing people to Jesus. Don't get in the way of people getting to see Jesus do this to them. Like, I, I don't want to be this church that gets in such a habit and a rhythm of religiosity that we forget how to point people to the one that can heal them. It, like, if we do that, you guys, like, if we start getting into that place, where you just come tell me? Like, will you just say, hey, enough with the, the, the habits and the rituals and the this and the that. Like, there's some people that need some healing. Like, would you? I, I'll give you the permission to just do that. All right, let's keep rolling. So he's now back into his message. He just paused for a moment to heal this lady and to yell at a Pharisee, and call him a hypocrite, and then he's now he's going back into his thing. So let's keep going.
1: He said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened
0: this this word leavened is just yeast. we talked about it last week um, most times it's used in scripture it's a bad thing um, this this tree this mustard tree uh this is a this is an interesting thing this would have caught people's attention first of all you you um He's talking about a mustard tree, which they grow to about four feet tall. And he's talking about it in a way that it's going to be this massive thing that even the birds are going to hang out and make nests in it. These little mustard trees are tiny. They're little garden bushes. And and so he's giving this description. He's got this lady that's got 42 pounds of flour, and she puts a little bit of yeast in it, and it, and it, it, it gives leaven to the whole bunch. Um, there are some scholars that will say... Uh, this is talking about the corruption that's going to come in to uh, to the kingdom. I don't agree with with that assessment of these words. Um, I think what he is trying to say here is the kingdom is going to show up and it's going to grow in a way that you didn't expect. You thought I was just the, the Messiah was going to show up and storm the castle and take over and everything would be changed. It's going to be a slow burn. But it's going to grow in such a way that everything gets infiltrated with it. And, and so you, you, I think it's true. It started with this guy named Jesus. There was one of him. He had 12 homies. One of the homies kind of got a little sideways. And so he had 11. <laughs> and then Jesus dies. And they're hanging out afterwards. And they don't really know what to do and all of a sudden there's 120 of them in this room and the spirit of god falls down on human beings and starts entering into humans the holy spirit starts entering into humans and all of a sudden they walk outside and they're like hey something crazy's going on and we be- we think it's this Jesus guy we think he's the real deal and 3000 people become believers in that moment 350 years later after that 50% of Rome, the known world, is now Christians. Hundreds of thousands of people, 300 years later, in, in a place that was absolutely anti-Jesus, like a place where the guy that was in charge was burning Christians in his garden. They all of a sudden, now half of the population is put their trust in Jesus Christ. 350 years later. Fast forward 2,000 years later, to 2010, the census recorded that 68 million people in China have chosen to put their trust in Jesus Christ. 68 million people. They say about China's growth in Christianity right now that the population of China is growing by 10%. Christians are 10% growing each year. They say by the year 2050, there might be 1 billion Christians in China. That's like more people than this room for sure. Like, that is insane when you think about that. Like, insane when you think about that. I think what he's saying is, look, the kingdom is like this. It's not going to show up like you thought it would, but it's going to keep growing. And it's not going to stop growing, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's going to get so stinking big. And and I, I believe that to be true. I believe there's nothing this world can do to slow it down. There's not... Listen to this. This is not... This is crazy. The recent study that came out, there's not one people group that has the name of Jesus as a religion, Christianity as a religion, where they do not project upward trend in the world. There's not one. We think America's on a downward climb. There's just a bunch of Christians that have a ton of babies. So we've got a nice, steady... (laughs) Like, we're fine. Right? But in China... They don't have the baby thing. They're allowed to have one, and yet it is growing at an out-of-control rate. Um, Iraq, 1.2 million Christians prior to ISIS showing up. They're down to 500,000. And yet, this day, like within these months, they are saying that the growth of Christianity in Iraq is at the fastest pace of anywhere, any time in all of history. What? What? Yeah, like the Spirit of God is a real thing and it indwells people and it moves and it cannot be stopped. And it's kind of like leaven. Just a little bit of it will take over a bunch of stuff. And I think that's what he's saying. At least I hope that's what he's saying. Let's keep going.
1: He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from depart from me all you workers of evil in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see abraham and isaac and jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of god but you yourselves cast out and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of god and behold some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last
0: just shooting it straight uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to see this seven times in the Bible. Only eight. Uh, there's the eighth one is in Revelation. It says it a little differently, but verbatim, seven times this uh, this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and um, every time it's used, it's used to describe the day of judgment when people find out that they're not going to get to be hanging out in the big house. And they are um, undone by it. And so Luke's, the, the only time Luke uses it is right here. All the other times are recorded in Matthew. Uh, but there's a funny story that goes with it. There's this, um, there's this Irish priest, and his name's Dr. Ian Paisley. And he's giving a, a, an end, end times message. And so here's how the story goes. Uh, it was reported to have been preaching on a Sunday, one Sunday, an end times, in particular on the Day of Judgment. And he reached the climax of his address and he said, On the day of judgment there would be wailing and gnashing of teeth. At which point an old woman put up her hand and said, Dr. Paisley, but I have no teeth. (laughs) Paisley replied, Madam, teeth will be provided. They're mad that they're not getting in. He's speaking specifically to a Jewish audience here. They're mad because not only are they not in, but they're seeing their heroes in there. They're seeing Abraham. They're seeing the the, the people that they looked up to. And they're also seeing people coming from all over the world, from the east and from the west. And it's like, whoa, whoa, I thought it was like just our little tribe getting in. No, people are showing up from all over the world and they're getting in. The narrowness of this door that he talks about, he uses this this idea of a narrow gate, a narrow door. The narrowness is not about so much about how few people will be there. The narrowness is about how small of a door it is that you can go through to get to heaven. It is small because it is only found in one person, and his name is Jesus. There is one entry point. And it is Jesus. There are not many entry points. There are not all roads lead to go. There is one. And his name is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way. And if anyone wants to come to the Father, if anyone wants to get home, he's got to go through me. Period. And he's saying, look, don't worry about who's going to be in and who's going to be out. All I want you to know is that you've got to put your attention towards me. You've got to do this. And you've got to turn around And I've got to be the focus. I've got to be the one that is getting you in. Because that's the only way. He uses the word striving. And I want to be clear on this. This is not talking about works. This is not talking about your behavior that gets you through this narrow door. He's simply saying, it is a ton of work for you to turn towards Jesus. I know. Remember, he's teaching to a Jewish audience. A man-made religion people with a desire to love God, with a desire to pursue the things of God, and yet their religion, we talked about it a little bit ago, is actually keeping them away from the Messiah. And he's saying, look, I know it's so stinking hard. It's going to take a lot of work for you to do this. That hasn't changed for a lot of people. It is a lot of work to turn around. All right, let's keep rolling.
1: O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
0: How would you like God to title you fox? That's his description of you. Um Look at the last sentence here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying to this group of of Jewish people, he's saying, look, you're not going to see me again until when I arrive, you declare the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some will say um, he's talking about when he rides in on a donkey. Remember that? So he he rides into Jerusalem right before he gets crucified. He rides in on a donkey. And what do they yell out? blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in Matthew's account of the gospel, he records a really clear, specific moment after the donkey event where Jesus is saying to the people, you're not going to see me again until I come back and you declare, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's clear what he's saying here is not, um, you're not going to see me again until I ride in on a donkey two days from now. He's saying, you're not going to see me again until my second coming, we here at Open Door we believe that Jesus is coming back, and there will be another day. This time, he won't be riding in on a donkey. We believe there'll be some kind of cloud he rides in on, and a white horse, and it's going to be legit, legit. And um, so that's what that's what he's referencing there. I just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. Um, I love this. I love that Jesus calls himself a chicken, like he describes himself as a chicken. Um, I've seen a lot of good stained glass of him being a lamb and a lion. I've not yet seen the chicken Jesus stained glass. I'd like to see that. But this is this is interesting. All joking aside, we when we read Genesis, we see that God created man and women, and that they were image bearers. Uh, we also see these words. It says when God was hovering over uh, the darkness, the word is actually brooding over the darkness brooding, and we are getting to see, described by Jesus himself, as this motherly instinct of God. This kind of feminine, uh, motherly compassion and love for the chicks. And that's pretty cool when you think about that. Often God is giving a masculine uh, characteristic and here. Out of his own words, he gives himself a more feminine understanding. Pretty cool. It's interesting. He um, he calls himself a chicken, and he calls Herod a fox. And um, the fox will get the chicken in in a little bit, in a few days. But the chicken says to the fox, um, "Hey." I'm not super scared of you. Um, I got a little bit more work to do, and I'll meet you in Jerusalem. And um, and then he cries out for his people, and he says, Man, I so longed to be able to protect you, to be able to bring you under my wings, to be able to protect you from the evil one, and you didn't accept it. You didn't choose to come under it. You chose to scatter and um, I'm still going to let the fox get me because I love you that much. And I'm still going to satisfy his appetite so that you never have to. And, um, and uh, that's the beauty of the gospel is that there is one out there who satisfied the wrath of all evil, of all wickedness, so that at any point in time, any point in time, you could say, I'm ready to come under those wings. He's the one who said, look, look, like I don't, I understand it's not working. The three years have gone by. And yeah, you should be cut out because you, 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 you went against me. But I'm, I'm going to dig around the roots. I'm going to add some manure. I'm going to work it so that when the time is right, you can bear some fruit. So when the time is right, you can come under my guiding. He's he's saying saying in these passages, he's saying, look, we want to talk about repentance. Think about these guys. When Jesus said repent or perish, they probably had no clue what he was saying. They're like, what are you talking about, repent? Like, we're just doing our thing. And what he's saying is, change your mind about me. Change your mind about who I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not going to show up the way you thought I was going to show up. It's going to be a slow burn. But in 2050, there's going to be a billion people putting their trust in Jesus Christ in China. You didn't see it coming that way or that long. You thought I was going to storm the castle here. No, no, no. We're we're playing the long game. You thought that I would judge you based off of the fruit you produced. No. I'm going to stay in process with you because I love you that much. Change your view on me, is what he's calling them into. And and my prayer is that there's some of us in this room who maybe have thought they're getting in because they were good enough, who maybe thought they had a seat at the table because of proximity to the church or to a mom or dad that once said we're Christians, or because they're Americans and Americans are Christians and Americans go to heaven. I don't know, but my prayer is that in hearing these words, your view of who Jesus Christ is would be changed, and you would stop moving from the authority of self and move towards the authority of the only king that is the king, and his name is Jesus Christ, the only way home. Let me pray. Lord, you're not the way we thought you would be always. You don't even say the things we think you should say. Um, But we do know this, Lord, is that you are crazy about us, you love us, and that you long to be with us, and so you made a way where there was no way. And we choose to trust that with everything in us. We take this communion today, Lord, because we choose to believe that the cross worked, that it was enough, that your body broken, that your blood shed, was enough to get me home and that it would be the only way to get me home. And so we take it as a declaration, as a celebration of the reality that is disclosed in your word. We love you and we give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.